Welcome to Unconfuse Me. I'm Bill Gates. Language is such an interesting topic. Well, what got you interested in, in languages in the first place? I found out when I was about five years old that there were these other codes that people could speak in, and they were doing the same thing that I was doing in English, and yet I couldn't understand what they were saying. I wanted to know that other code. I wanted to know why people don't all talk the same way and how the other code was different from mine. And that's just kept me going for now a very long time. So you've learned a lot of languages. Well, it depends on what you call learn, because, you know, you don't really know a language unless you've lived in it for some period of time. I have taught myself a great deal of a lot of languages, and so I can get around in a bunch of languages, and I'll probably never stop learning bits and pieces of them, because I just find it so fascinating that there are 7,000 of them, and that I was raised with only one. And I guess the number of languages is going down over time. How do you think about that? That's a rich question because there is an epidemic of language death, just like there is of flora and fauna. And with each language dying, you can say that a way of looking at the world is going away too. But the problem is, and I know that I make some enemies by saying this, I think that the extent to which a language itself makes you see the world differently is somewhat exaggerated. As marvelous as it is, that there are 7,000 different languages. The truth is that if everybody spoke one thing, and if language never changed and there hadn't arisen these 7,000 different languages, nobody would say, boy, I wish we all spoke in 7,000 different ways <laughs> and couldn't understand each other and had to use translation. No one would say that. We cherish the diversity of language. But on the other hand, I'm not sure that the language is dying means that cultural diversity is dying with it. In the... Christian Bible, they have the, the Tower of Babel, where it's almost a curse on humanity mm -hmm. that we can't understand each other. Yeah. It's fascinating that it's told that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard for there to be so many different languages. Languages can divide. There's a reason why we're always seeking to have a universal language that at least everybody will speak while speaking their own other one. Divisions between languages, as marvelous as they are, are also difficult to bridge. And this idea of a written formal language versus just, you know, when you're at home kind of socializing. The hardest thing is to get beyond the idea that the way a language happens to be written most on the page, which is usually in the form of the dialect that happened to get chosen to be in the shop window, is the right way and everything else is some bastardization, some devolution from the perfect. It's so hard to get beyond that within our own little lives. But the truth is that about 200 languages, on some days I say 100, other days I say 200, about 200 languages are written in any real way. Generally, it's only one dialect that usually is written as opposed to all the other dialects. But if some God Martian ET thing came down and looked at all the ways that people speak in all of the 200 and whatever nations that we have, they couldn't decide this way of speaking is cleaner and better and richer. And then all these other things are something that they probably call dialects. They couldn't tell the difference. That person could land in Compton, California, hear nothing but the most spontaneous and uneducated black English and think how complex, how nuanced 
nuanced the language of these humans are. Then they would go have a conversation with Tom Brokaw, and they wouldn't say, oh, this language is more sophisticated. They'd say, oh, here's a variation on what this gentleman in Compton was spoken. They'd recognize no qualitative difference whatsoever. We can't feel it because languages inevitably have social evaluations as well as neutral left brain ones. Yeah, it reinforces this notion that there's the correct language, you know, the King's English or something like that. And everything else is kind of lower class, inferior. <laughs> and I have to admit, until I read your books, The Power of Babel and Talking Back, Talking Black, the idea that each these dialects has its own self-consistent logic. Hmm. I wasn't aware that it, there's no laziness involved in this in any way. It's so hard to hear that. I mean, <laughs> really, it's the sort of thing that you gradually have to be taught. It's kind of like the fact that you know mountains become sand. I was <laughs> saying this to my significant other just today. Mountains become sand and you never see it and you don't really believe it. In the same way, a non-standard dialect is not inferior. And in fact, the fun thing, if you're a linguist or if you're the kind that's inclined to cock your ear to this sort of thing, is that the non-standard dialects are often more complicated and always have features that the standard dialect lacks. Yeah, it's fascinating that some languages have a lot of gender information built in or the way that the tenses are done. You know, which things are easy to express uh, is so different. And yet, you know, because genetically our language machine, our brain is in common, uh, it is stunning the degree of language variation. It's absolutely amazing. And the brain can tolerate an insane degree of needless complexity. The brain can do it, but the brain doesn't need it. He versus she, you don't need that. Half of the languages in the world make no difference. Context always takes care of it. You and I think that he and she is one of the most basic things. If you make up a language, you should leave that out because context takes care of it 98% of the time. That's what language is. It's too complicated. Subscribe to Unconfuse Me wherever you listen to podcasts.